immerse yourself in the world of college football. Now, back to more ESPN 1000 Chicago's College Tailgate Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Championship Saturday in college football. We are presented by Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, and Northwestern Athletics. Talking college football with you each and every Saturday throughout the fall from Labor Day all the way to Championship Saturday. Today's the last show. This is the last hour of the show. It's been a fantastic season of Chicago's College Tailgate once again here on ESPN 1000. And thank you to Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, and to Northwestern Athletics for supporting the show once again. Uh, we, we love talking college football. We love doing this show, and we love uh, just... Uh, having the support in the the forum to to be able to just talk college football each and every Saturday throughout the fall because it's what people love to do as we see a Georgia fan walking by right now yeah. celebrating for his Bulldogs already celebrating as, as they are ready to face off in the SEC championship yeah, be game earlier to uh, later on today so it's championship Saturday <laughs> uh, we are keeping our eyes on the U.S. men's national team they are losing. 2 nothing to the Netherlands in the 47th minute. Uh, the second half just started. Uh, the U.S. has looked really bad in the first half. A couple of wasted opportunities early. Pulisic had an opportunity one-on-one, uh, open goal, and missed off uh, the goalkeeper's leg. Uh, yeah. He had he had an open net. All he had to do is flip it over to the goaltender, and the U.S. would have had an early lead in the first 10 minutes of the match. Um a couple of wasted crosses early on that found no one in the box. Mm-hmm. And the Netherlands find their man, their man marked in the middle of the box for two goals. Uh, and basically a no-sweat first half for the Netherlands. The Dutch, uh, it, it was child's play basically for yeah. the first 46 minutes. Yeah, it looks like men against boys here. I mean, Dest has had some opportunities as well. And, you know, you've got something here to prove now. They they made a, uh, a change. Gio Rea came in. Um, for uh, Ferreira. So he's out. So Reyna's in right now. So they are making some substitutions to try to get more offense. They probably need to make a couple more here. But it, it's it's a tall mountain to climb now because the, the Dutch are so good defensively that it's going to be tough for the U.S. to come all the way back. But we'll see. You never know. If there's a country that's great at the foreplay but can't actually solidify right. anything, I mean, wait. I mean, all they do is dance around the box there. <laughs> they can't do anything. When this entire tournament can the U.S. score a goal, all they do well, is around the edges of the box. They can pass, pass, and oh, look at once again, passing backwards. It's all they do. They don't have a free flowing type of offense. All their offense is based off of set plays and set pieces. So. Well, they can't just kick the ball out in front and then just hope some of their guys are there and create a cross where you saw the goal by, oh my God. <laughs> you see the, the, the goal, the, the second goal by the Dutch is set up by, uh, just 
kicking the ball out into space, having a guy waiting for your teammates to get up there, setting up a cross, and then just having a perfect cross met by a goal right at the penalty spot. And that's how the Dutch have been able to score. They just have a way too free-flowing style of offense that the Americans just can't replicate for some reason. And, and they also uh, don't have someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. No, they, uh, yeah, they don't do Dest just yeah, had an open shot with, what, five feet away from the net and was blocked. He, he just had yep. an entire net in yep. front of him. And yeah, the whole net was right there. Score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on a, it's a big on a, goal. On a I don't nice, know if you guys know this, but in soccer. Nice cross. Like, it's a big goal. The closer you get, the easier it is to yeah. score. Yeah, like, there's, it's yeah. a pretty big goal. It's not like hockey. It's a lot oh, bigger. Man. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's been frustrating. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, having a frustrating evening, oh, no. uh, I'm a USC fan, and last night was terrible. Uh, Utah wins back 12 championship, 47-24. to The second half, they just run away with it. 30-7 uh, to is the score in the second half, Utah to USC. Multiple long runs, multiple passes to individuals that were just bowling over defensive backs who were just trying to arm tackle bigger players time and time again last night usc just could not stop utah players more aggressive uh just stronger pushing through bad tackling from the sc defense as uh utah racks up 533 yards in the contest Uh, i thought early it was a problem when usc went up 17 to 3 they needed touchdowns Kicking that field goal signaled that this game was going to be a lot closer than what it could have been. And that's where Utah really flipped the script on the entire day. And and the ability to, to, to stick to the run, but also to play great defense and to limit USC. Caleb Williams was clearly injured, uh, but yeah. USC went completely away from the run game, which has been helpful in the last couple of weeks. Austin Jones had 15 carries for 35 yards. And uh, basically, Utah was just teeing off knowing that Caleb Williams was going to be standing in the middle of the pocket with with an inability to move because of a, quote, popped hamstring. Here's Lincoln Riley after the game talking about Caleb Williams. The guy to your left has to be one of the gutsiest performances you've seen. And what was the conversation at one point with your backup warming up? Was there a consideration? Oh, there's definitely. I mean, he popped his hamstring on the on the long run that was well, on the second or third drive of the game. Um, and I asked him at one point, I was like, are you 50%? And I mean, he was not even close to 50%. And, um, I definitely thought about taking him out. I, he wouldn't have let me, um, and he didn't let me. And, um, he wouldn't even let me take him out at the end. And, and, uh, it was, yeah, in, in terms of guys I've coached at that position, there's maybe the gutsiest performance I've ever seen. Here's Caleb Williams after the game talking about the injury. You ever have an old rubber band? <laughs> yeah, I uh, kind of felt like that. And then um, the rest of the game, I, I felt it, but I had a I had a something that I always go by, not always go by, but something that I have watched and, and, and admire. And a person that I admire is, is Kobe and, um, and he always said the game is bigger than what you're feeling. Um, and, um, and so I was in my head and, and, and encouraging myself that the game is bigger than, than what I was feeling. Um, and I also had a, a group of guys that was looking at me um, to go out there and lead them to, to victory. And um, that ended up happening. But that was what was going on. Mid-third quarter, I thought Lincoln Riley should have pulled Caleb Williams. Uh, he couldn't wow. move out there. And I get that he has all the, the flash and the Heisman uh, campaign to, to play for. But 
listen, he we we've talked about it. I think you were out and we were talking about the arrogance of Caleb Williams. Uh, he, he's yeah, a really he, nice player. He kicked the field goal team off the field he, in, to score the second touchdown. Remember, and, like in the sec, for the second touchdown, yeah. he's Lincoln Riley's trying to pull him off the field, and he's doing the no, no, no. Like we got this. He, um, you know, it, it's been a storyline with USC reporters and uh, all season long. He's very arrogant, and he's a a bad body language player. Mm-hmm. Uh, when things have not gone well for USC this year, he is very pouty. And he has problems with everything. And uh, he's demonstrative towards Lincoln on the sidelines. And really, like, it doesn't look great, I think, for Lincoln Riley that Mm -hmm. he says after the game the reason they didn't make a change to try and save their season was because Caleb Williams said no. I, I think in that situation, the best thing would be play the healthy player because at least you would be able to move outside of the pocket and maybe you go back to some of the run game and you keep the game closer. What happened was each time they were buried so far back in their own end and you knew that they weren't going to run the ball and Caleb Williams just kept backpedaling backwards. And unlike what we see, saw against Notre Dame or against UCLA, his ability to avoid the, the rush he wasn't able to get out of there. And so he just continued to take major sacks, which at point then turned it into second 17. Yeah. Third and 20. Yeah. And it's like, you're this game is getting out of hand. And it's because Lincoln Riley didn't want to remove Caleb Williams. Well, who wasn't even 50%. I mean, that has to come back on Lincoln Riley for how great of a season this has been in year one. The fact that the defense was so bad. And Lincoln Riley didn't do anything at the quarterback position. That's a major fail from from the head coach. It is, but they also gave up 30 points in the second half. Like, it's not Caleb Williams' fault that they missed a season-high, like, 30 tackles. Like, they were missing an average of 10 tackles a game. At one point in the third quarter, they'd already missed 22 tackles. Like, Utah players were literally running over USC players to yeah. get into the end zone. Yeah. Like, and that's not Caleb Williams' fault. I understand that not pulling him means you weren't able to come back in the game at any point, and they did score seven at the end of the game, but, like, that's not on Caleb Williams. The bad, Like, the bad defense is not on Caleb Williams or on... It's on Lincoln Riley, but again, this is his first year, and most of the transfer portal guys were on offense. Yes. So he's got time to build this defense. So... But again, it's Lincoln Riley, and he's proved that he's never been able to build a defense at Oklahoma either. So, yes, is it on Caleb Williams? Is it on the injury? Is it on Lincoln Riley for not taking him out? Somewhat. But, like, y'all gave up 47 points and over 500 yards uh, in total. Like, it's not it's not 100% on the quarterback. Like, Utah punched you in the mouth. Absolutely, like, as, as they I, always I, do. In every facet. Like, smash mouth. 100%. And the difference is, normally... Utah, run first, all that kind of stuff. But with Cam Rising, putting up 310 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, like the dude was dropping absolute dimes. And then guys were getting so many yards after the catch and after first contact because guys were missing tackles all over the place. At one point on a touchdown, two USC defenders Ugh. ran into each other. It's, like it's it was not, so bad. It's not on Caleb Williams. Can he be arrogant? Yes. The whole fingernails thing obviously comes back to bite him in the ass because he does oh, the the F Utah and then the week before that. Well, it's he's, like, he's done it for three weeks now. Yeah. So it was it was the F UCLA, then Notre Dame, yep. and now Utah. Yeah. So I mean he's been he's been it's not new. He's been wearing no, I know. fingernail 
messages. Uh, he's been painting his fingernails back to high school. Yeah. Uh, so, like, he did it at Oklahoma, too. Yeah. It just he's getting far more attention now because this he's the starting quarterback uh, for a team fighting for a, a national mm-hmm. title. And then also in the Heisman conversation, uh, listen, he... Yeah, you you get what you uh, what you get in that you situation, what you right? Sell, man, like, because like, look, like if everyone's going to tee off on you if, if you can't if you're wearing if, you can't dish, uh, if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it. To the, yeah. to the oh, Coliseum yeah. last week with yeah. whatever the heck he was Those dressed cactus in. Flat, uh, plant flea markets, yeah, but, oh yeah, and, and the bag that he's carrying into the you know like if you want to question whether or not uh, nil is alive and well, just look at Caleb Williams mm-hmm. and the, and like what as a college student, what he's walking into the Coliseum with, yeah. right? Like he clearly is getting paid this year. Oh yeah. And so like, he's having a very nice season. He'll oh, yeah. have a great season again next season. Sure he will. Um, and it, it, it's until he threw the interception last night, he's only thrown three interceptions the entire year. That's pretty incredible. Uh, and I think he'll still win the Heisman trophy. Uh, yeah, he will. Uh, but with that said, I would I would turn your aggression when, when you lose the way you lost last night, you'll be a joke nationally. I would turn your aggression towards the defense and trying to come up with ways to fix that, whether it's through the transfer portal or better recruiting in the offseason. And then also focus your attention on us making plans for New Year's Eve, because I feel like we're both going to be free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dodge that bullet, right? Like we're hey, both, that's not something I have to worry about. We're both going to have something to do. Like, we don't have any plans on New Year's Eve now. So like that's we're not going to have to worry about uh, when the USA men's national team plays again. No, so, no, we're not so going to have to be, worry about watching games good. during the day next yeah, week. I think as, we'll be uh, fine, yeah. I think they're uh, they're in the 59th minute, still 2 nothing. Netherlands over the U.S. Yeah. And uh, still, uh, possession in favor of the Netherlands. Of and course. They, this has just been easy. This is going to be another, uh, what do they got, a half hour left? This is going to be like 35 minutes of keep away and some some I almost said that. I almost said something that, that would have been taken way out of context. Some box foreplay by yes. the uh, by just, the U.S., but that's going to be about it. Dribbling around the yeah. box there, accomplishing nothing and yeah. passing it backwards. But you know what the good thing is, Chris? Yeah. In four years, oh, yeah. uh, we're a host country, so they're automatically in. Yeah, no, I know that. So that's um, good. That's good, right? We get to do yeah. this again in four years. So then when we drive to Kansas City to see a game and oh, watch, we're them, going to watch a game. them not score, that'll, that'll be fun. We're going to a game. All right, Blocking Abdallah, Chicago's College Tailgate. We continue to preview Championship Saturday in college football next. More college football talk is right around the corner. Chicago's College Tailgate Show. This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's College Tailgate Show with Black and Abdallah. Follow them on Twitter at Chris Black and at Adam A. Abdallah. Now, back to more on Chicago's Home for Sports. Here are your hosts, Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. Talking college football, we're presented by Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, Northwestern Athletics. Turn off the USC game last night, and uh, the Bulls are down twenty. They fought back. No, oh, we're not. But, I'm uh, not giving you a Bulls minute. Well, I mean, uh, I'm not been, giving you a Bulls minute. Not on the last listen, show. This, is, this, this has been a rough. Save this crap for Monday. Rough twelve hours in my fandom <laughs> no. to go from USC to seeing what the US men. I mean, you thought the Bulls team, had a chance yesterday? It was the Warriors, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I know uh, that, that's bad. Um, things are not going well. Maybe I should have had a rant ready. I mean, the, Bulls, the, the Bears play the Packers tomorrow. Should, should I do a rant? Could, wanna... it, could it all be redeemed by Justin Fields yeah. tomorrow? Are you kidding me? All right, I'm Absolutely. looking forward to it. Absolutely. 
All right. Uh, Ty Hildenbrandt, the Solid Verbal Podcast, joins us each and every week. Uh, Not every week, but each and every uh, football season uh, throughout the college football season. And their podcast is fantastic, the Solid Verbal Podcast. We started a conversation with Ty talking about tonight's game uh, with TCU and Kansas State, Big 12 championship game. TCU, you win, you get in. Yeah, I mean, look, (laughs) given where they came from to – to start over basically year one with a new coach, a lot of the same players, which is sort of a story unto itself, but to start over a new coach, um, they had a veteran presence. It was just a matter of, I think, organizing all the pieces. And despite the fact that we've had several weeks now where they're having to come from behind or pull some heroics later in the game, um, it's just sort of who they are now, right? Like we're, we're, I think all fairly confident that, TCU's got a lot of these late-game heroics in them. When they have to, they can reach back and, and find a way to win. And so here we are. They're, they're winning in, and I like their chances. Obviously, the conversation the last few weeks has been about the college football playoffs and the rankings that come out every Tuesday. Do you think that TCU has done enough that if they lose, they'll remain in the top four, or is the committee just waiting for them, like Clemson, to just lose and drop them? Yeah, we Dan, Dan Rubenstein and I on our podcast, we had this exact same discussion recently. And, you know, though, though I'd like to believe that TCU would need to lose by 14 or some wide margin in order to be truly dropped from the playoff, that margin might be one point in reality. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of the playoff as a TV product, as something that they want to try and drive up ratings as high as possible. And obviously, Ohio State would fit more of that bill. So I hope for, to answer your question, I hope for TCU's sake, it is not really a matter of if they lose, they're going to find a way to, to be shouldered out. But, you know, I, I can't say that for sure. I, I hope that is certainly not the case. Have you, can you guys think of a more improbable team from at the start of a college football season to make a run to then be in a conversation like this? Like, when was the last time that there was a team that kind of I know BYU was undefeated, but we all poked holes in their schedule, right? Because they didn't play the same type of competition. Have we seen a Power Five conference team that wasn't expected to do anything have the run that TCU has put on this year? Uh, not quite to this extent, you know. I mean, I think of LSU in 2019 mm-hmm. with Joe Burrow and the way that they—I mean, that was a once-in-a-generation yeah. team. But and to say that they came truly out of nowhere like TCU has is, is probably a stretch. But um, just the the turnaround story, I think, is somewhat unparalleled, especially year one with a new coach. Right, um, that that bit of it I think makes it truly unique, and it's part of the reason why I'm rooting for them. I, I hope they're able to get the job done and and knock off K State and and find their way into the playoff because. What makes them really interesting is what makes USC interesting. It's what I think makes the playoff interesting. It's that we're, we're not exactly in the situation as we've been the last couple of years where you look at a few of the teams at the top and you say, oh, they're infallible. They're, they're unstoppable. No one's going to beat them at all. Uh, granted, Georgia and Michigan are pretty darn good, but it has been kind of a wacky year where it feels like more is possible in terms of upsets. So I'd like to see what TCU could do in a in a one game playoff scenario. And then on the Kansas State side, uh, their season a pretty good season to be in the Big Twelve championship game. And I know throughout the week they haven't really announced who's going to start at quarterback. I feel like I've been watching Adrian Martinez as a starting quarterback in college football for like half of my life. 
Uh, it's pretty incredible the season he's put together as well uh, for the Wildcats of Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, K-State's a crazy story. Um, the, the Adrian Martinez thing aside, um, you know, with, with him getting injured and with Will Howard sort of stepping into that role of QB1, it's, it's like a will-they-won't-they they each week with K-State. And it seems like now they've finally gotten to a point where they've realized that Will Howard gives them the best chance to win. There have been talks about maybe trying to preserve a red shirt, that, that sort of thing. But I think they're sort of committed to Will Howard at this point, and he definitely gives them a better chance in this game. Um, the first time they played, it, it was an Adrian Martinez experience. It was a more mistake-prone version of uh, K-State that I think we saw a little bit of Will Howard later. But um, all, this is all suffice to say, like, K-State is definitely a team that can beat TCU. They are good enough to do that. They just have to minimize mistakes. They have to find a way to generate some big plays, which is, you know, not necessarily their cup of tea. I feel like Max Duggan should be more of a household name. Like, college football fans know who he is. The, list, the listeners of the Solid Verbal know who he is. The listeners of this show knows, know who he is. But, I mean, everybody's – it's C.J. Stroud, it's Bryce Young, it's Stenson Bennett, it's Caleb Williams who's come on for USC. And then now you've got Max Duggan. Like, should he have been had more attention paid to him throughout the year? Well, I mean, look, here's the deal. The deal with Max Duggan is that for three years he's very inconsistent. And so there wasn't even, I think, uh, uh, an assumption start of the season that he was going to be the starter. We thought it would be Chandler Morris. So when he got the gig, it, the, the normal expectation from people who had watched him was, oh, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be inconsistency. We're going to see flashes. But, you know, the, any notion that this guy could lead them to uh, an undefeated season, forget it. So certainly now the fact that we're here, I think he deserves it. He's, he's earned the right to be more of a household name. I also don't fault people for not not taking him seriously coming into the season based on the body of work we had seen uh, you know, the previous three years. CBS, 3 o'clock today, LSU-Georgia. It's the SEC championship game. So the Georgia Bulldogs, the best team in the country, and I, I think everyone would kind of all agree on that. There's probably a few people that live in the state of Michigan that would say, yeah, Michigan could give Georgia a run for its money. But for the majority of this season, even when they weren't ranked number one, I continued to look at Georgia as the best team, and then they solidified that by beating Tennessee at home when they were ranked three and Tennessee was one. When you sum up this season for Georgia, how would you kind of put this into perspective uh, for someone who doesn't usually watch college football and they're just tuning in now for the championship games and the college football playoff? How, how would you kind of sum up Georgia's year? I would say a couple things. First, I would say Georgia is probably the best team. And um, I'm hedging a little bit because I think they're, you know, pretty close with Michigan at this point. But I think Georgia's probably the best team. They're obviously the defending champions, so they have a, a right to be in that conversation more than anybody. Uh, they do play kind of a boring style of football. It's almost a Big Ten style of football where they want to grind you down. They want to make your defense bleed. They want to run until you can't take it anymore. Um, and... You know, on top of that, they've got a veteran presence at quarterback. They've got a couple weapons that they can use, namely Brock Bowers in the passing game. That can provide a little bit more pop. So just when you think they'll lull you into this into this malaise of just running it for like seven yards of carry, then they can beat you over the top. Then they can do some things with Stetson Bennett that, that make them truly, um, you know, the best team in the country. So 
if I'm summing it up in a word, it's it, or a couple words, it's they're the best team. Um, they also get bored sometimes. We saw that on occasion where they just sort of play with their food. And there was the Missouri game. There have been moments throughout the course of the season where you wonder, is Georgia's head really in this thing? But then you've got the Tennessee game where they, they clearly just dominate. So they're the best team right now in my book. I'd love to see what they could do in a one-game playoff scenario. Again, we've seen them there before, but some of these prolific offenses like with TCU and USC I think would pose an interesting challenge for them. Um, that said, I don't know if it's a different challenge than what we saw a couple weeks ago against Tennessee. There's a strong likelihood they would still win that. They would still impose their presence. But, um, you know, I, I just I would like to see Georgia when faced with a little bit more variety to see if they can just continue doing what they've been doing for the last two years now. And Iowa could have been with LSU. If they didn't lose to Florida State, uh, you could probably forgive the Tennessee loss because Tennessee was ranked eighth at the time. And then Texas A&M last week. And you are a Notre Dame fan. You are very familiar with Brian Kelly. What do you make of LSU's season this year? And do they have a chance in this SEC championship game? I don't think they have a chance. I, I don't want to pour cold water on that idea because I'd love for it to be a close game. But... You know, in, in specifically with respect to this game, LSU's got Jaden Daniels coming into his own, but currently in a walking boot, potentially in a walking boot, which is never a great formula going up against a Georgia defense that is still very, very good. Maybe not as good as last year, but still obviously top five in the country. When you've got that one-man army scenario, one guy trying to solve Georgia, I don't, I don't like that setup. But aside from the game, the story at LSU has been incredible. I mean, both Dan and I on our show were, were pretty high on LSU coming into the season. We liked their talent. We figured that Brian Kelly would find a way to get them more organized to piece it all together. But, you know, the manner in which they've done that second half of the year, learning to kind of trust one another from a team standpoint, has really been impressive. And it ob- obviously justifies the, the huge money that they spent to bring Brian Kelly down to Baton Rouge. So, it's a great story. I think moving forward, 2023 and beyond, LSU will, will be, be more of a growing threat within the SEC. The fact that they're in this game at all is incredible and something that they can build and recruit on. But I, no, I'm not optimistic that they're going to be able to pull the upset over Georgia. We were there uh, live in person while you guys uh, recorded the Solid Verbal podcast uh, up on the north side at the Beat Kitchen here in Chicago at the start of the season. And Southern Fried Brian Kelly was definitely a topic of conversation. (laughs) Uh, What have you made of the transformation from the guy from New England who was in the Midwest, who's now a Southerner? Uh, What have you made from Brian Kelly throughout the year? Uh, Southern Fried Brian Kelly. Yeah, the, the the more southern Brian Kelly has definitely been has definitely been an experience. Um, you know, I mean, for all the jokes that we made when he tried to pull off the fake accent, um, we knew deep down there was a pretty good coach in there. You know, he may not always be the most authentic human being on earth, but the guy can coach, and we've seen that. Look, they're they're in the SEC championship game for a reason, and. Um, jokes aside, he, he knows what he's doing. He will assemble those pieces. He will get them more organized along the lines. He will find a way to um, make that team much more of a consistent force within the SEC. So I give him credit. I don't necessarily like the guy, but I give him, <laughs> I give him credit for what he's done. It's, it's been a nice turnaround story in a very short period of time for LSU. 
the ACC championship game, uh, 7 o'clock on ABC. You've got Clemson and North Carolina. Clemson, a two-loss team that has a chance to win their uh, conference championship game and will be left out of the playoff because the committee, as soon as they lost that game to Notre Dame, they dropped them uh, pretty far. And Dabo doesn't really take kindly to the criticism of his offense. What do you make of what Clemson was able to do this year or not able to do this year? Yeah, I think I think he's got some 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 off season stuff to sort out. Um, you know, it wasn't just a Notre Dame loss; it was the manner in which they lost the South Carolina game, the the in state rivalry as well, where it almost feels like I mean, it's crazy to say this, right? But it feels like South Carolina is trending upwards, and Clemson—I don't want to say is trending down, but is is sort of treading water which is never a great in-state position to be against the rival. Um, but their their quarterback situation has plagued them all season. Their offense, the, the way they've started games, if you look at the stats, they've been a very, very slow to start most of their games this season. And I do think the Notre Dame loss, despite the fact that it goes down as an L in the win-loss column, or the win-loss record, the fact that they got pushed around in the manner that they did against the team that they knew was going to run. They knew Drew Pine was not going to beat him through the air. And they knew the run, the running game was coming, and they still got pushed around for umpteen yards against Notre Dame. That, that was, I think, a blinking red light. So they've got to get that sorted out. This was a defensive front that figured on paper, at least in the preseason, to be one of the best in the country. They didn't show out. They were not great rushing the passer. Their pass defense did not show up in many, many aspects throughout the course of the year. So I think they've got some soul-searching to do. Whether Dabo likes the criticism or not, on some level, you just got to sort of face the music and be self-aware. And the fact is that Clemson left a lot out there. There's a ton of talent on this team. They didn't play to expectations. So we'll see what they do in the offseason to fix that. Um, the game will be interesting. Look, I mean, uh, both teams are sort of limped to the finish, both Clemson and North Carolina. So we'll see who's got more left in the tank uh, this evening. And it's also like a larger critique on the ACC, right? Because for the last two years, there were supposed to be teams fighting as a dark horse playoff team. Last year, it was North Carolina. They lose early. This year, I remember every publication had North Carolina State, the Wolfpack, as a sleeper playoff team and then they they can't get through the month of uh september and october without getting knocked back in the rankings and they're ranked 25th now i mean i i think overall the the question is more like for the acc if clemson is kind of treading water florida state finishes the year nine and three and then north carolina limps to the finish like you said nine and three outside of that the conference doesn't really have a whole lot going for it, especially when Miami had the season they had this year, finishing five and seven, three and five in conference with Mario Cristobal, who is supposed to bring the Miami way back to South Beach. Uh, what do you make of the conference overall for the ACC? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd much rather be Florida State than almost anybody. Clemson's still in a good spot. You know, that's not to say that the program's going down the tubes. It's still in a really good spot. There's a ton of talent and you know, we'll trust that Dabo Sweeney can figure that out in the offseason. But outside of some very obvious stories with Florida State, with North Carolina, North Carolina picking up, you know, seemingly where they left off at quarterback with Drake May, um, there hasn't been that much in the way of, like, feel-good stories that you can latch on to. So, um, you know, it's an indictment of the ACC on one level, 
being that if the goal now is to try and contend nationally for national championships, uh, if Clemson has been kind of that top dog, the one representative that you have on that level, and if they're going to look like this, where does it leave the ACC as a conference, right? I mean, it probably puts the ACC in a position where they're suddenly now looking for a new new top dog. I think Florida State thinks that they can be that program moving forward. Maybe North Carolina can be that program moving forward if they can develop a defense, but it's definitely going to be up for grabs going into the start of next season. And I didn't even mention Miami. Miami was a a disaster this year. They were really bad down the stretch to the point where we wondered, did they give up? Do they care? Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's going to take a little bit till I think we can sort this out in the off season. And then until we see where things land from a transfer portal standpoint, but yeah, the ACC is kind of in a weird spot. So there's Ty Hildenbrand talking college football with Black Abdallah. He's from the Solid Verbal Podcast, fantastic podcast. Uh, since we've been talking college football, Haji Wright scored for the U.S. in the 76th minute. The score was 2-1, to one, and the Netherlands, five minutes later, get another goal. It's 3-1 in the 81st minute of action in the contest. Uh, the, so uh, so the hope that kills you guys. There's about like three minutes of action where, where it looked like the U.S. could maybe – uh, try and tie things, and the Netherlands said nope. no. Uh, more college football with Ty next. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's college tailgate show with Black and Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000, Chicago's college tailgate show with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Black and Abdallah. Chicago's College Tailgate presented by Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey and Northwestern Athletics. We continue previewing Championship Saturday with Ty Hildenbrand from the Solid Verbal Podcast here on ESPN 1000. The Big Ten Championship game also at 7 o'clock tonight. Michigan beats up on Ohio State last weekend uh, to head to the championship game. It's not a question anymore of did Harbaugh just get his one and that's kind of it. It's now more of a question. And you guys did eloquently point out on Twitter that, remember, he tried. Harbaugh tried to leave. And people were just like, oh, remember when nobody liked Harbaugh? Yeah, he tried no, to leave. No, no, no. He, he was, he he was tried looking to leave. for an NFL He gig. was looking for NFL jobs. But now... Are are kind of like are the waves shifting now? Is is Michigan now the team to beat in the Big Ten? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you beat your top rival in as impressive a margin as in as impressive a way as they have by such large margins two straight years. I think you've earned that right. Um, I think folks at Ohio State are going nuts, given the fact that they had such a tight grip on this rivalry for a good long time. And suddenly Jim Harbaugh seems to have stolen that thunder. So, yeah, you, you do that to Ohio State two straight years. You look as impressive as you have two straight years. You're the top dog. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They're going to win this weekend, uh, or this evening, excuse me, against um, Purdue. I, I think that's a, a mere formality at this point. We'll see what they can do in the playoff. I like their chances to win a game. If they're one of the top two with their defense, with their rushing attack, I, I think they can absolutely beat TCU, they can absolutely beat USC. Um, so that would represent progress. It would represent a program that I think is very much headed in the right direction. The Big Ten as a whole is still a very strong conference. No no two ways about that either. But Michigan, with what they've done, yeah, for sure. They, they earn whatever 
title in the Big Ten people are willing to give him. And Ty, I think the conference even got stronger with the two hires that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Matt Rule to Nebraska and Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. I think they're both fantastic hires. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, look, the Big Ten is expanding in more ways than just one. The, the news before the season was USC and UCLA. The news during the season and, and now after the season has been this continued ratcheting up of sorts on the coaching side. Um, you bring some of those minds into the Big Ten West or what remains now the Big Ten West before they get rid of divisions. And, yeah, it's it's got a distinct SEC feel to it, doesn't it? They're, the coaching talent that is out there I think will improve things on on that side of the conference and it it will hopefully just continue to ratchet up um, the the competition and, and the big 10's ability to compete with other conferences when it comes to bowl season. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about what this means for programs like Wisconsin programs, like Nebraska, even other programs around uh, the big 10, the the knock on effect that this could have at a place like in Iowa, maybe to, hopefully modernize things the knock on effect. This might have at a place like Northwestern, right in your backyard. Like I, I'd be curious to see if everybody, if all the Joneses are, Mm-mm. are making improvements to their respective houses. What does this do to some of the programs that um, are overdue for their own renovation? Now nah, Fitz is never leaving. <laughs> Fitz is never leaving. Yeah. Like we're just resigned to the fact that yeah, like, what will happen here. Like this is what always happens here. Ty is that, Basically, so they were bad this year. They were bad last year. Maybe they're better next year. They they compete. They get into a bowl game. We'll then they're like one of those frisky teams in like two years where maybe they knock off a team at home like an Ohio State or a Michigan, like some crazy game. And then you start hearing the, well, maybe Fitz should take the Bears job because the Bears will be in like a downturn. That's that's the, the, the coaching cycle. It's a and cycle then he gets, we've yeah, seen a couple of times the, now. It's he like, gets a contract extension and then he's there for another 10 years. Fitz should be on the hot seat, but really... Uh, he's rumored to be an NFL coach, so we got to sign him to a long-term deal. Yeah, we've seen that a couple. I, times I mean, now. that's that seems like agent speak to me. I was looking at yeah. the numbers earlier today: 110th nationally <laughs> yeah. with respect to their offense. They just made a move getting rid of Jim O'Neill, the defensive coordinator, but the defense was actually the better part of that team. They were yeah. 72nd nationally, so this has been a really bad team. It's been a really bad team. It feels like it got a lot worse this season, and. I don't know if there's any end in sight. So I get that everybody likes Fitz. I get that he's built this name for himself and that maybe there is some NFL interest. I doubt it, but no, I get not. all those things. <laughs> I get all those things. But I just, um, on some level, again, you got to be self-aware. you got, you got to realize who you are. And Northwestern's been really bad. They've just been really bad. And if they want to get better, it might take a change of scenery. Ty Hildebrand joining us from the Solid Verbal. I mentioned earlier that you are a Notre Dame fan, so I wanted to ask you what you thought of this season and what Marcus Freeman has done in his first full season as Notre Dame head coach because like, if you look at their, their full results now that it's over before the bowl game, if, you, if they beat Marshall, if they beat Stanford, like, that's a very respectable first year. Like, no one gave them a shot against Ohio State at the beginning of the year. And then the USC game, I don't think a lot of people gave them a shot against USC uh, last week. But those two games, like if they would have just found a way to beat Marshall and Stanford, this is extremely respectable for the first year. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Marcus Freeman in many ways was a victim of unrealistic expectations before the start of the year. Notre Dame was not a top 10 team. Anybody who knows Notre Dame, it was not a top 10 team going into the season. But they were ranked as such going into that big game against Ohio State. They acquitted themselves well, all things considered. 
Um, but they just weren't that that good of a team coming into this season. And so I guess on some level it's not surprising that they would struggle in the manner that they did with a new coaching staff with so much new in that program. Um, it, it absolutely stands to reason that it would take a little bit for these guys to figure this thing out. And so I think you saw progress in some really important areas. You saw the line get better. Offensive line got a lot better. They were able to run the ball more, more and more throughout the course of the season. That, to me, represented progress in a very good direction. They were very limited at quarterback. They just, like, Drew Pine doesn't start for some group of five programs out there. He just doesn't. And so when that's the hand that you're dealt, and these, this is the guy you got to trot out there, I think all things considered, they did, a, they did a pretty good job. Tommy Reese learned throughout the course of the year that you can't ask Drew Pine to win you a game with his arm. You, you just can't. That's not the kind of guy this, this quarterback is. And so they, they learned as they went. I think they definitely exhibited some progress throughout the course of the season. Um, I expect that they will be very active in the transfer portal. There will be openings that they can fill with other guys who hopefully can be plug and play. But I think Marcus Freeman showed an ability to learn as he, as he went along. Um, you know, a lot of what he talked about coming into the season was humility, was understanding that there are other, other guys that he can lean on to hopefully get better at this thing on the fly. And I, I think he showed as much. So um, I'm optimistic about what we saw in year one. They were, they were only a stiff wind, as you said, Adam, like a stiff wind away from being nine and three or 10 and two, which despite the schedule, maybe not being the strongest still would have been a heck of an accomplishment. So I, I feel good about where Freeman's at. I look forward to seeing what he can do in the off season via the portal and um, in the recruiting game. And I think, uh, you know, good things are ahead for Notre Dame. I think Tommy Reese needs to learn that he's also on camera all the time. Like, yeah, that's, there's that thing too. I, you know, I'm cool with it. I'm sure you guys are okay yeah. with it, but oh yeah, there are, prob- there are probably some stuck up types that um, aren't as into it as you know you and I and the rest of Twitter. Are. Oh no, it's great content for I love us, it. but it's, uh, it's someone's got to tell me, like, dude, that camera's right in front of you all the time. It's just always there. It's like a ring doorbell. It's yeah. always in his face. Thank you, Ty. We love talking college football with you, and we love listening to you and Dan on the Solid Verbal uh, podcast, wherever you can find podcasts. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the last Saturday of the season, and um, uh, as always, appreciate the invite. Ty Hildenbrandt from the Solid Verbal podcast, while the Heisman watch coming up next. More college football talk is right around the corner. Chicago's College Tailgate Show. This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Immerse yourself in the world of college football. Now, back to more. ESPN 1000, Chicago's College Tailgate Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Thank you to Jay Cantu producing today's show. Peggy and Tyler, Tyler Aki, coming up 11 to 1 right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's College Tailgate presented by Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, and Northwestern Athletics. Thank you for the support on the program to both Keeper's Heart and Northwestern on the season. Abdal, you have a game of the night presented by FanDuel. Yes, I do. It's brought to you by FanDuel. Sign up now using the promo code Abdallah, A-B-D-A-L-L-A, and get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Going to go with Michigan tonight. SP Plus has this game as like the the, the Wolverines minus like 25, so I'm going to go with Michigan to cover the 16.5 pretty easily. We have a final from the World Cup. The Netherlands win 
going 3-1. to one. They proceed to the round of eight. The U.S. being sent home from Qatar, so the U.S. does not get past the round of 16. They lose 3-1 to one to the Netherlands. The game has now gone final. It's time for the Heisman Watch. It's college football's highest honor. From now on, your name will be followed by the words Heisman Trophy winner. Here's Chris Fleck and Adam Abdallah. Heisman Watch presented by Nissan United. And the question, Abdallah, is this. Did Caleb Williams lose the Heisman Trophy last night against Utah? No, because he's minus 1,700 to win it on FanDuel right now. Uh, Max Duggan, the next one, at plus 1,300. So 13 to 1. CJ Stroud, 23 to 1. And Stetson Bennett at 50 to 1. So no, he did not. Max Duggan would have to have like nine touchdowns today. Yeah. TCU wins 100 nothing, and well, they I'm sure he'll get some their... first place votes. Yeah. But he's not going to win. Yeah, Caleb Williams, I think, will still win it. All yeah. right, uh, another season down for Chicago's college Thank tailgate. Thank you, guys. We appreciate everyone that's supported the show, including Keeper's Heart and Northwestern. Peggy and Tyler, coming up next. Have a great Saturday. This is Chicago's College Tailgate Show with Black and Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and now on FM at 100.3 HD2.